Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you're with us this morning, and, and I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, and, and so it's going to be a, a part two, we're going to be in, in this series called the Kingdom Minded Mission, and last week we looked at where Jesus was in chapter 9, 35 to 38, and you know the passage very well if you've been around um, Christianity for a while or whatever else, but if you have, and here's, here's what he's saying, he said in in verses 37, 38, listen, the, the workers are few. Okay, the workers are few. And, and we can look at that in somewhat business aspects of the workers are few. I mean, good workers that go in. But listen, he says, the harvest is right, but the laborers are few. He says, listen, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out the workers. And we gave several challenges last week in that. And it was just so good to see that and um, what, what he was doing. And so with that, um, we're going to peel into this, this second part of the kingdom-minded mission. And, and today we're looking at Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And, and in this, we're going to see what I've titled the message today, The Making, the making of the Chosen. The making of the chosen. And so with this, I'm going to ask you to uh, just follow along. There's a worship guide that's, that's uh, attached to this uh, video, but there's also one that's on, on the Facebook page that you can follow as well. And so by way of, of, of those, those things, I want to just look at that this morning and you can fill in the blanks and, and uh, just follow along with me as, as I go through this guide. What I'm going to say is, the screen is going to be here. There's not going to be any slides that we're going to be able to advance this morning. Once again, technical technical difficulties this morning, and, and I'll, once again, I'll figure those things out as we as we go along. I, I don't know what's happened with that, but we'll we'll get there eventually on on that part. But uh, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, anyway, these were twelve ordinary men. That's the first thing. These are 12 ordinary men. There, there's no wealth. There's no social position. There's no academic background. We have to realize that these are ordinary guys. There's nothing special or spectacular about them. There's nothing uh, there that, that um, would stand out as far as their positional authority in life. There's nothing there that would say, hey, listen, these are guys that we want to follow because they're going to get us, advance us to some better career or anything else in life. These were just 12 ordinary men. And, and so the second thing we're going to see here is that these men were a unique mixture of men. They were a unique mixture. I mean, whew, you, you can talk about going, going along the gamut of just many, many different kinds of people here that, that Jesus had um, selected. And, and this was just really wild how to look at it. Okay, so first we see fishermen. We see tax collectors. We see zealots. See, Peter, if we, if we peel into Peter's kind of personality here just a little bit, we, we know Peter, he's the one who, who walked on water. He was on the side of on water. Uh, Peter was also the one that when they came to get Jesus, he's the one who, who cut off the soldier's ear. So he was impulsive. He was rash. He, he spoke and he acted without really even thinking. His, listen, his greatest strengths were also his greatest weaknesses. That was Peter. James and John, they were labeled as the sons of thunder. I mean, 
think about that is, is if you were brothers and you guys were named the Sons of Thunder. When I first heard that, I, I thought, man, is, is, this a, is this a tag team wrestling group? I mean, that, I can just see them going in the ring, the Sons of Thunder, okay? So, but, you know, listen, they were given that title because of their irate temperament, hot-headedness. I mean, wow, crazy. Well, then there's Judas, which is meaning falsehood or betrayal. And we know Judas is scary because he's the one who sold out Jesus for money. And then we've got Simon the Zealot. Well, Zealots, I wanted to look at that for just a moment. Well, these were the fourth party of the Jews. And a couple of the parties that you know very well is the Pharisees and Sadducees. And, and so now we get into Zealots. And the writer Josephus, he, he, he put it down in his book, the, these particular words of describing what, what the, the zealots were, they had an attachment to liberty. They, they said God is their ruler and Lord. That, that's not a bad thing. Uh, they were prepared to face death for their country. They, they didn't um, wait or wilt un, until the pressure, they, they didn't wilt under the pressure of seeing their loved ones die for freedom. You know, they, they didn't cave in or give in or compromise. They had a very stern core belief, and they, they were ready to face death for their country. They, they were fighting for it. Well, they refused to give any man on earth the title of king. They would also, listen to this, go to great lengths to secretly murder and assassinate anyone in order to protect their country from being taken over by a foreign ruler. That's, that's not a good thing, but a zealot. They were the nationalists of all nationalists. Well, as you can tell by these men, these, these 12 men, you see the diversity among these men. I mean, can you imagine a zealot and a tax collector in the same space together? I mean, whoa. I mean, that'll stop you just for a second. I mean, that, that had to be fireworks just waiting to ignite, waiting to happen. I mean, just get those two guys in the same room, in the same space, and whew, I, I guarantee you there's some fireworks that's ready just to erupt and, and, and explode. But Jesus knew, I mean, he selected these men and, and not only was, was their temperaments that were, uh, man, worldly, I mean, and, and sinful, hot-headedness and, and, and fiery, but, but also a betrayer in the group. Well, there's something that's written in Revelation chapter 21, verse 14, and this is what it says about these 12 men. The city wall had 12 foundations and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb were on the foundations. So they're etched and carved in all throughout history here, okay, in eternity. Well, Barclay said this about, about these 12 men. He said, these men, simple men with no great background, men from many different spheres of belief, were the very foundation stones on which the church was built. It is on the stuff of ordinary men and women that the church of Christ is founded. You see, dear brothers and sisters, it's, it's on the ordinariness of us that this whole thing is built. I mean, Christ is, listen, don't, don't mistake this. Christ is the cornerstone. That's the foundation is built. However, he's sending us out as his people. And he's calling us as his people, sending us out as his people. And on this, the church is built. Now we get to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. Let's read verse 1 together. It says, Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, in this first verse, I, I wanted to lift out basically three words here for you. 
summoning, he gave, and then authority. The first word is summoning. Well, in the Greek, proskaleo, it means to urgently invite someone to accept responsibility for a particular task. And, and with that comes, or it implies, a new relationship to the one who does the calling. See, Jesus said, listen, he's summoning his 12 disciples. He's calling them. He's calling them into this new relationship with him. He's calling them into this master, Lord, disciple. He's calling them into this teacher, into this student, which develops over this time as he is also not only their master, teacher, and Lord, but he's also their friend. But this thing is he's calling them into something, into this task that he's calling them into. And it's a big task. I mean, this thing carries on throughout the Gospels and into Acts, and we see the church exploding uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on them. But he's summoning the 12 disciples. And we're coming off the heels of, of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And he's teaching about the kingdom, and he's now moving in through the mission. And, and now he's, he's, he's been teaching them, and he's been doing healings. He's been doing these things, but he's, he's calling them. He's summoning them together. He's listening because he's inviting them. He's in, that's a key word. He's inviting them to something greater than themselves. He also says in this verse that he gave. Well, didymi in the Greek means to give or to grant. Now, I love the, this definition here. Let, let, listen to the definition. You know, to, to give or to grant. Well, here's what he gave. Here's what he's giving. Here's what he's giving the disciples at this moment. He's giving them this. Something with value. See, Jesus always gives us something that is worth something. I mean, you or I can give each other something, and it really doesn't mean a lot. And it's not worth anything. I mean, we can, we've seen a recent video that's been given to us through someone and say, listen, if I, if I hold this football in my hand... And I have, and I give it to you. It's not worth however much it costs, $15. That's all it is. But if, if I put this in the hands of someone that is great, a Walter Payton or a Peyton Manning or, or whomever, fill in the blank of, of a professional athlete or Tom Brady, then that thing becomes worth millions of dollars to them. See, But see, Jesus, Jesus gave them something of value. Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them. He gave them something here that's a value, and it's the third word's authority. See, the ability to perform a certain task, and in this case, to drive out demons, is absolute power over unclean spirits. So Jesus gave them authority to do a couple of things, which he says in this verse the authority over unclean spirits and to drive them out. But he also gave them the authority to heal every disease and every sickness. I mean, he's, he's sending them out as him. I mean, he's multiplying himself in these 12 guys and he's sending them out into the mission field and saying, listen, you're going out with the authority. I, I am giving you something of value. You have the authority to do these things. I'm giving this to you. It's worth everything to you. He, he, he didn't just give them something that wasn't going to help them in the mission. He's given them everything. And then we see 
The next several verses here, in verses 2 through 4, let's just read this together. He said, These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, there's Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. The second thing we see in this passage is that Jesus chose them out of some disciples that are you know, following them. I mean, he was, he was among multitudes of people, but out of that multitude, he chose these 12 guys. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 13, he says this, When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. See, there are all kinds of people for the kingdom task. In this kingdom-minded mission, it takes all kinds of people. And so there are those, one, who go. And I'm looking at the missions aspect. of These are the ones who go. As they're going, he's, they're going about mission for him. And, and that, this can mean across the world. And we have folks in our own church that are serving on the mission field around the world. There are folks that, that feel called. They feel on mission, and in this kingdom task, they have to go somewhere else. But there's also those who stay. There's also those who, who stay in their own hometown, or they, they stay in the nation, or they stay in, in a geographic region close to home. And, and they feel very, very called in their kingdom task to do what they're doing for the king locally, or geographically in, in a region that, that's closer. And see, there are also those who use their hands. I mean, I, I'm thinking of like carpenters, electricians, and plumbers, and, and those kinds of guys who, who build things. I, I have some very dear friends who, they're great at woodworking. I mean, they're, they're fantastic at woodworking, and that's something I'm not. I mean, I, I can carry a board and I can hammer a nail, but you need to give me some instructions to tell me what to do. But they, they can see a plan or see it before the plan, and they, they can make it happen, but... A good dear friend of mine is, is in charge and he helps around here building wheelchair ramps. And this is, this is what he feels like his kingdom task is. He loves, one, he loves using his hands to cook and feed people, but he also uses his hands as a carpenter. And there's electricians, there's, there's plumbers, there's, there's other folks that use their hands to bless others through the gift that they've been given. And, and they use their hands to fulfill the kingdom task that they're here for. There's also those who use their minds. Their minds. I think of educators. I think of um, those who teach, um, philosophers. I mean, those guys who just sit down and think through these things. They use their minds to help uh, others think through these, these possibilities of different things and, and, and help them get a, a plan and scheme together. That's how. But there's all kinds of people for a kingdom task, and these are ways that we can look. Those who go, those who stay, those who use their hands, or those who use their minds. Well, listen, he chose them. Jesus chose them for a couple things. One, to be his disciples. Disciple, just in its basic one-word definition, means learner. Learn. Somebody who is studying up under their teacher, a rabbi and a student, their disciple, a learner of, of the teacher. Well, my definition of a disciple goes like this. It's one who devotes their life to Jesus, who is a doer of his word, and one who develops others to do the same. And I love the three D's in here. Develops, doer, and devotes. The first thing that, that the disciple does is they devote their life to Jesus. I mean, they have surrendered their all in and they're, they're everything 
uh, about them. Every fabric of their DNA and, and their makeup and their daily agendas, everything is devoted to the life with Jesus. But they also do his word. I mean, it's, we can hear it, but man, if we don't do it, it's, it's nothing, okay? But they're a doer of his word, and they also develop others to do the same. They're taking others in with them and sharing what Jesus has taught them and how they've grown and matured, and, and they're helping them as well develop to also do the same thing. See, Jesus needs those who are willing to learn. One thing we know is a closed mind does not learn. A closed mind does not learn. You can't learn something to have a very, very closed mind. I mean, even during this time, I feel like we have a lot of closed-minded people in, in things that are going on in the world today, and they just, they, within all themselves, everything they have, the fabric and being of them is there. They absolutely believe everything that they think and they've researched and done without having an open mind to learn even more. And they're, they're done. They can't learn anymore. But see, Jesus wants those who are willing to learn. See, for his disciples, this is a lifelong journey that I believe Eugene Peterson said it best. It is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. That's what this is. See, a life with Jesus is us being obedient in faith and, and, and growing together in the same direction of the direction that he's calling us into, the direction he is shaping us and molding us. But it's in that same direction that we go, but it's a long, obedient life of faith with him and, and, and obedience. Well, he chose them to be his disciples, but he also chose them, listen to this, to be with him. John 15, 1 through 8, says the following. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Listen to this. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, they throw them in the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Remain in me and I in you. You can do nothing without me. And this is what he's doing throughout this whole process of his three years of teaching and training these, these men. Is he's saying, listen, remain in me. I, I'm, I, listen, I'm sending you out. I'm giving you authority to do these certain things. But you can't do that on your own. It's only the stuff, what I have given you, are you able to do that. You can't do this on your own. So he called them to be near to him because he wanted to model for them. He wanted to pour into them. He wanted to show them. He wanted to teach them. He wanted to train them. He wanted just to give everything because he said, listen, and what they heard him pray, he says, listen, I only do what the Father tells me. Well, if he's going to do what the Father tells him, he's connected in prayer to him. Well, his disciples as well, being near to him and being close to him, and he's pulling them, them close to, to hear him teach and preach and share, well, we're doing the same thing. We're only doing what King Jesus tells us to do. Well, another thing 
that we see here, the third thing is that Jesus called them. Jesus called them. See, Jesus invited these men on a journey that was much greater than themselves. And see, here's what he does. Jesus invites them, one, to do his work. To do his work. I mean, they're, they're out to go do the things that Jesus is asking, asking them to do. And, he, and he's given them directions uh, to, to go do that. But he is inviting them to his work. He didn't demand it. He didn't say, hey, but he just says, I'm, I'm inviting you here to come along with me and I'm going to show you what this means to be a disciple. I'm going to show you what this means to love me with all your heart. I'm going to show you what this means to love God and love others. I'm going to show you, but, but you're going to be about doing his work. He also invites them to be his ambassadors. His ambassadors. Literally, it means one who is sent. Well, Many of us know what an ambassador of like the United States is. I mean, we, we know that and they're sent out into another country and they're representatives of, of this particular country. Well, his, his disciples were going. He's saying, listen, you're ambassadors for me. And so the one thing that they're not going to be done, which I think many churches have done, is that, that, that sometimes their ambassadors get stuck in a holy huddle. And they don't do anything but dreaming up what, what is about to take place or, or their next task or mission. But they would not do that. They were, they were going to be an ambassador sent out into that harvest on mission. And so, he listen, he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And we're going to peel into that next week and look at our, our next part of this series as well. But they're going on mission and they're not stuck in a holy huddle where they're just together for them 12 and, and that's it. But they're going out into, into mission. Well, they're to do His work, they're to be His ambassadors, but they're also to be His proclaimers. You know, a herald would go out and he would, you know, I, I think about herald trumpets. These trumpets, I'm a trumpet player, so when a herald trumpet was one of those that had the long extended bell and they would hold those things out and it, it, it always sounded off a, a musical uh, piece that proclaimed some type of royalty to come in. They, they sounded that particular trumpet to do that. Well, they were to be his proclaimers. They, they were to, to be heralds. They were to, to proclaim and preach the word. And see, here's, here's the key about this. Here's what he was teaching them. That this begins by being in the presence of Christ. He's saying, listen, you're coming with me. I'm teaching you, you're in my presence, and so now because you're in my presence, now you have a message to proclaim. Well, that's a word for us today, right? It, it means that in order for us to have a word to share with somebody, it's not my word, it's God's word. If I have a word to share with him, it's because I have spent time in his presence. I, I have to spend time in his presence in order to share something that has value. So, what does this mean for us? Number one, that God chose us. And I'm going to read 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 17. Listen to these words. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation. Through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth, He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, listen, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. 
may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Wow, what a great what a great word that we're hearing from 2 Thessalonians. I mean, here it is. I mean, we were um, we're encouraged in our hearts and we're strengthened in everything about us for every good work and for every word. And it's only because of Jesus. See that they were teaching this. I mean, he called you through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's how beautiful this is. And listen to Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. This is why, since I heard about your faith in Lord Jesus and our Lord for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, who give, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Here we go. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of strength. Oh, that, that my dear brothers and sisters, that your heart may be enlightened to the hope of his calling, the wealth of this glorious inheritance that we have, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe? I mean, again, he gave, listen, he gave that to us. That, that is something of value. I mean, the hope of his calling, the wealth of his inheritance. I mean, that, how can it get any better? And also the second thing we see here is that God gave us his son. See, another giving thing. He gave us his son. Well, John 3, 16. John 3, 16 says it, doesn't it? For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, he chose us and he gave us his son. He gave us this glorious inheritance that we can stand on today, that we, can, we know that one day we're going to have this beautiful life eternal with him forever and ever and ever. And this is what he does. He, he, he chose us, but he gave us his son and his son gave his life for us. Wow. Man, we could just pause right there and just let that sit down and, and just simmer down and settle down our spirit. What, what a great thing. The third thing we see is that God gives us a task. We talked a little bit about that last week that people, you know, sometimes I've heard them say over and over that I, I don't know what my purpose is and I, I don't know what purpose. Well, I, I think we're going to see some more stuff here today based off his word in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Listen to this. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us, listen to this, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is so good. You are no longer that old creation. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself. We didn't do it. He did it. He gave his son. That's how we can reconcile this broken world back to him. We are ambassadors carrying the message of reconciliation to all people. That's, that's our ministry. That's our purpose. We're to go. As we go, we're, we are ambassadors of him. Now, we're, we're sent to a foreign land to carry God's reconciliation to everyone through the death of his son. Now, this, this foreign land, listen to this, can be across the street. Because we're in a foreign land. Remember, our home is in heaven. But right now, we're in a foreign land. This is foreign for us. But through this ministry of reconciliation, through this new creation in Christ, and because he's, God has reconciled us back to him, from him who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might be, become the righteousness of God. See, listen, we can, we can carry the message of reconciliation across the street. We can carry the message of reconciliation across the town. We can carry it across the state, the nation, and the world. We have been given an ambassador title and a purpose to carry the message of reconciliation to all people. You may say at this point, well, Kenny, I don't have anything to offer. And here's what I would say is that I know that he will take whatever you or I have to offer and he will use it for his greatness. See, it said, a while ago we read in that John passage, see, apart from me you can do nothing. And that, that's absolutely true. We know that, listen, whatever we have to offer, he'll use it for his greatness. Don't ever underestimate what little you may have. We, we go through the Bible and we can talk about so many things. I mean, the alabaster jar, this lady had the alabaster jar of oil and, and covered uh, Jesus' hair, washing his feet with her hair. And, and, and man, she gave everything she had. The widow's mite gave what she had. It was so little, but compared to what the, the rich had, she gave far greater an amount than what they gave. How about the little boy with, with the fish and the loaves of bread? I mean, that fish and loaves of bread end up, Jesus turned that blessing into feeding thousands of people. The boy was just obedient to have what he had. He said, listen, I don't have anything to offer. Yes, you do have something to offer. And, and what you've been given in Christ, he will use it for his greatness. See, you're an ambassador for King Jesus. I'm afraid that in the churches today, we have, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use an analogy here for just a moment. I'm afraid that we have landed into somewhat of a cruise liner mindset. And that's, that was, that's what I'm calling a programmatic, program mindset. See, if, if you've ever been on a cruise, you know what that cruise is for. I pay my money, and I'm going to that cruise liner, and then everybody's going to do something for me. I'm going to be entertained by the band. I'm going to be entertained by the food. I'm going to be given the best of living quarters, and I can pay for excursions, and, and all these things that are there, but it's the cruise liner. And so we've set up our churches to be the same way and then the program is, is everything and that we, hey, just come. Just just come. Check, check out the show. I want us to flip the script a little bit. I want us to flip that on its head somewhat and I want to use the, the, the analogy of an aircraft carrier. 
See, an aircraft carrier to me has more of a mission mindset. In this kingdom-minded mission, we see that an aircraft carrier has a missional mindset. And what, am I, what do I mean by this? You have all kinds of soldiers. You have all kind of personnel that's on that ship that has a, a given task, whether it be the mechanics, whether it be the people cooking food, whether it be the ones that are washing the, the planes, whether it be the ones that are getting it up on, on the top deck, the ones that are uh, signaling the planes to, to land or to take off, um, those pilots who are actually uh, going to be flying those planes, and, and the commanders who are giving the orders. Well, here's the deal. That's us. If I can think of three words that the church has been set up this way is, is to equip, to train, and deploy. See, the equipping are the tools. We have the tools. We've been given the tools, whatever that may be, to help us carry out the training to go on mission. So it's the tools that we're equipping each other, and it's the training. The training is the how, the plan, the mission. These pilots go into that boardroom, and they simulate things, and they go through the mission, and, and they're walking through these things, sometimes even months and months on end, to carry out that one mission, and here they are. So they're training. They've been equipped. They've been given the tools. They've been given the plane, and all the stuff that's on the plane to help them use those tools to carry out the mission, but they've been given the training. And then the final thing here is that they're deployed. They're sent out to the mission. See, here's the difference. A cruise liner, we go to the cruise liner and it takes us wherever. But here's what we do. We go to the, we go to the aircraft carrier and then we send out people into the mission. See, Robert Coleman said this about Jesus. He said, Jesus' concern was not with programs to reach multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. That wasn't by a program. That was by him pulling them close and training and equipping them and then sending them out on mission. See, Jesus didn't spend money on programs. Jesus spent all of his resources on 12 men. Jesus also spent all of his resources on all of humanity. What happened with these 12? Well, from the text, we can see that they were given authority they were given everything to complete the mission. They were empowered by the king. They turned the world upside down. They ultimately went to their death for the mission. See, Jesus sees in each one of us not only what we are, but also what we become. And we become more because of him and him us spending time together and Him pouring into us and, and in His Word and, and when we go out and, and serve one another, we, we grow and we mature in our faith and we, we see more and more and more and God opens up our eyes and we, we go out as ambassadors in this message and ministry of, of reconciliation and that's what we see. See, what He did with the disciples was this. He drew them close. He spent time with them and He sent them out. Jesus is inviting you and me. He's inviting us into a life given to the kingdom-minded mission. This mission is for us to be ambassadors for Him to carry the message of reconciliation to all people. One last statement here for us and question here is, is that here's the deal. It's your choice. 
It's your choice. Will you be faithful to the mission? Heavenly Father, you chose us. We didn't choose you. I thank you for what you're doing in and through the people. I, I praise you for what you're doing right now across the world and how the gospel message is being proclaimed all throughout the earth. And so, Father, I just lift up this time to you. Would you move our hearts and our spirits in order to proclaim your name, in order to send out your message, to be bold in our faith, because you've given us authority. You've empowered us with your Holy Spirit so we don't have to fear and we can go and share the good news of you to everyone we come in contact with. Father, I'm just reminded as last week, listen, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray to you, Father, that you'll send out the workers. So Father, today, as we've been chosen, for those who have given their life over to you, I pray, Father, that you will get all the glory and that we will be obedient in this long obedience in the same direction of faith in you. In your name I pray, amen. I'm gonna share with you one last thing. If you're listening today and, and, and you've been on the fence with Jesus, you've been in, on the fence with this whole thing about um, a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm gonna invite you. I'm gonna invite you. I'm not going to paint a rosy picture. Many people come my way and, and, and probably other pastors' way as well and think that uh, when I come to Christ, everything's going to be fine and hunky-dory. Well, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Jesus tells the cost of discipleship. He says that, listen, your love for me needs to be greater than your love for even your parents, your brothers and sisters, your aunt and uncles, your family members and all that. He says, you know, you want to follow me, I don't even have a place to lay my head. He also says, listen, if you want to follow me, then you have to deny yourself. You have to pick up your cross in order to follow me. Now, now that doesn't sound very encouraging. I can promise you this. It's the greatest eternal decision you'll ever make in your life. It's one of the best decisions, the greatest decision you'll make on this side of eternity because denying yourself and, and, and really pressing into Jesus and getting in a relationship with Him and learning from Him and growing with Him, you are a new creation in Him. You will be one if you accept Him. And what He says in there, He says, listen, I want you to repent. Repent from your sins. Recognize that you're a sinner, that you're lost. You're lost in utter darkness. Until, listen, we know that, listen, God gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish. But He says, listen, repent and believe Believe that He is the Son of God, that He conquered the grave, that He is now no longer in the tomb. He's preparing a place for us. And listen, don't forget this last component, to follow Him. And that follow Him means that you're, you're going to endure some suffering in this life. But the suffering, as James would say, it, it, it helps us with endurance. It helps us with everything through suffering. It, it gives us more in this life because suffering is going to be part of the deal. If you don't know Jesus, I'm encouraging you. My email will be on this particular link. Email me. I'd love to correspond with you. I'd love to talk with you and, and, and share just my journey in faith. Or let me, let me point you to the King 
of the kingdom. Dear brothers and sisters, it's been a great time today to be with you. I pray that this week you'll have a fantastic week. Remember, you're ambassadors and we're to carry out the message of reconciliation to a lost world. We can do this online. We can do this on uh, by, by calling people on the phone. We can do this in a lot of different ways. We can do this by social distancing, standing six feet apart and sharing that good news with people. So carry this message uh, with you this week to heart. Okay? I pray that you have a great week and a blessed Sunday.